Thank you, Dave. Hi, everyone. Thanks for your nice words, Dave. It's, um, it's great to be with you here. I was just thinking, um, as Dave was saying there, about the, the first kind of conversations that we had about, Dave had with me about this building. And um, it's amazing just to see it functioning and um, just normal now and uh, part of your uh, everyday kind of church existence. Um, it's great to see so many familiar, I was going to say faces, but eyes. Um, this is the remnant, is it, that is not at the north coast um, this this weekend. Um, and uh, I, I heard a whisper, it's actually Dave's birthday today. So um, if you didn't know that, why don't we give him a... a, a <clears throat> he's a... I think it's your big one, isn't it? 40? No? No, sorry, sorry. Anyway, it's, um, it's great to be here, um, being friends with Dave and Joy and many of you for a number of years, many years, and um, yeah, it's just good to be here. Obviously, it's been a strange time for us all, hasn't it? It's been a strange 16, 18, whatever it is now, months, and um, uh, many people have struggled, um, many people have lost, many people have grieved, um, lots of difficult implications for many people in many different ways over the last months. And I guess it's important that we're sensitive to that. I guess it's important that we uh, give permission for people to grieve, for people to process the sense of loss. Um, it's important to do the pastoral work of loving one another well, picking each other up and walking with each other through these times. Um, and yet equally, I feel it's an incredible opportunity for us as the church and as the people of God in this moment. Maybe the best and biggest opportunity that we potentially ever had to share the good news of Jesus, to reflect his kingdom and to see the inbreak and advancement of that kingdom in our lives and in our communities. Um, I feel it's a time when the Spirit of the Lord wants to release a fresh anointing of wisdom, dreams, vision, heavenly strategy for how we're going to rebuild communities and people's lives. And God has always done that. <clears throat> you think of Joseph in the Bible in a time of famine where God raised this man up to, it says, uh, this little phrase, to father Pharaoh. <laughs> I became a father to Pharaoh. He actually fathered the culture through one of its most difficult times. And so I feel like we are in a moment where the Holy Spirit really wants to release that and wants us to lean into that. And I think we could miss it. Um, but I, I, what I want to kind of share this morning is I feel like there is a, a, a kind of group, a cohort, a core, uh, if you like, of people that the Holy Spirit in, in our churches and across our churches is drawing together to really lean into that moment. Um, <clears throat> and the thing about the Bible is that it can, and the essence of the gospel itself, it can really speak into the, both of what I've just described the, the pain and the suffering and the grief of the world and what we've been through and the hope of the redemption of it all. It's the Bible. Unfortunately, the church hasn't always thought this through really well or embodied or expressed this really well, but it's the Bible and the essence of the gospel that actually speaks into both these extremes. And that's really, really important, I think, because the culture doesn't know how to do that. You just look at Twitter, right? Or anything on social media. It's all false dichotomies. 
It's all crazy dualisms. It's all us against them kind of language. It's all that kind of spirit. It's all kind of we'll believe something and we'll caricature you as believing something else. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. But the Bible, actually, if Christians would stop getting involved in the culture wars that way and rather actually be steeped in the ancient wisdom of the scriptures and on the message of Jesus and who he was and how he lived, to be shaped by that. We've got something to say. And more than got something to say, we've got something to express and embody that will actually father people and mother people through this particular time that we're living through. I love this particular quote of Jürgen Moltmann. I think it's I think it's maybe on the screen. I love this quote. It says, and this has been you know really important for me through my life. It says this: genuine hope is not blind optimism. It's hope with open eyes, which sees the suffering and yet believes. In the future. I love this about the Bible. It never invalidates our pain. It never does the kind of cliched little sort of kind of platitude that we like or to, we, when we don't know what else to say as Christians or we just pull out a verse and hope that it might soothe, all of that kind of thing. Genuine hope of the scriptures like never invalidates what we're living through, what we're going through, what we're experiencing. It feels it deeply. It, 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 it connects with it. It enters into it. That's what Jesus did. And yet, at the same time, simultaneously, it believes, hopes for the future. And, uh, and so, I, I want, as I said, I don't think the, char- the, the world really knows how to do, deal with that. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. That's why... <laughs> You know, the culture has gone on such a kind of wild kind of cycle that it's ended up pretty much eating itself now. And we have an opportunity to speak into that with the wisdom of the Spirit, to speak into all that the Lord wants to do and wants to say. And, uh, and this brings me to the text this morning of Philippians, because the way that we do this as the church is as important as what we do. Let me say it again. The way that we respond as the church will be as important as what we actually do. The early followers of Jesus, I don't know if you know, but they were called followers of the way. It wasn't just really what they believed. It was the way that they walked. And there is a way to walk at the moment. And there is a refining that the Lord is doing, I think, and challenging us in through this time to be shaped more fully and immersed in who he is and to walk in that particular way. I love this quote of Martin Luther King Jr. The means that we use must be as pure as the ends in which we seek. The means that we use must be as pure as the ends in which we seek. And when we think about the challenges and the injustices that someone like Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, raging against and railing against, we think of how easy it would have been to be kind of tempted and pulled into the kind of spirit of the age in order to get what he wanted to get, justice. But he realized if he was going to embody something alternative to the way the world works, that the means in which they went about it was going to be as important as the ends that we seek. And that's kind of the church because the church is a signpost to what will be. It's, it's a sense in which the future rushes into the present. And so there is a sense in which the means, if you like, is the end. We're already living. We're supposed to enter into the fullness as much as we can of what will be now, and so um, as, we, as we come to the text, we're going to see this because this is exactly what Paul is trying to say to the church. He wants them 
to um, become aware of the opportunity that's in front of them. This crazy, wild, Holy Spirit kind of Jesus movement that begun in Jerusalem and is now spreading like wildfire through the nations and through the cultures. He's trying to remind them that if it's going to continue to do that, it needs to look like something. It needs to be embodied in a particular way. And so he's at pains to remind this church in Philippi of how they should go about this. And so these are some of my favorite words at the moment in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, through to 3 or 4, I think. Okay, have it on the screens too. Yeah, here it is. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit and intent on one purpose. Let me say that again. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd continue to breathe on your word this morning. Give us hearts that are soft, ready to receive the seed of your word. Come, Holy Spirit, increase your presence now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to break this verse down uh, into three or four sections and just share around those in a moment. But the, the general thrust of what Paul is saying here, if you were to put it in one word, is he's calling the church into a deep oneness, uh, a deep united heart, one mindedness and one heartedness. The word in the New Testament for this is a Greek word. If you read, uh, I haven't got the scripture up on the screen, but next chapter two, when it talks about the church and how they met together to pray, to break bread, uh, to, to be committed to the apostles' doctrines, and it says to the fellowship. I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church, the fellowship just meant the kind of week sort of tea party and sandwiches at the end or something like that, or, you know, um, whatever, what were they like, you know, um, chicken and grape sandwiches or something like that, something, some bizarre kind of like thing. That was like fellowship to me. That's how I understood the word fellowship. But the word, it, it's a lazy kind of weak, flimsy kind of um, shallow really understanding of fellowship compared to what the actual word in the Greek was. And the, the Greek word was the word koinonia. Okay, so the word koinonia meant that, and gets at this idea of a common enterprise, uh, a shared mission, a one-minded intention that people are giving themselves to and their lives to. Um, and in the early church, uh, in, in the midst of severe trial, in the midst of uh, persecution, in the midst of all the cultural upheaval that Christianity was bringing, new wine was flowing into an old wineskin, right? The Jesus movement was flowing into and out of this kind of uh, cultural kind of Judaism, and it was creating all sorts of kind of headaches, right? And then it was expanding into pagan territory where people like just believed all sorts of things and got up to all sorts of practices and these kind of good living, if you like, Jews are trying to work out how these crazy kind of Gentiles can now come into this kingdom as well. It's mad. It's beautifully mad, but it is mad. And yet in the midst of it, there is this one-mindedness. They listen to one another. They work hard to hear one another's hearts. They work hard to discern the spirit. And this deep, deep one-mindedness, one-heartedness, not just kind of like church sometimes today, like a sort of spectator sport where we just come in and do our thing. People were committed and devoted, is the word the New Testament uses, to Jesus and to one another. And this deep one-mindedness came to allow fuel to be 
poured onto the fire of what the Holy Spirit had let at Pentecost and to allow the gospel to continue to expand. And I just really feel that the work of one-mindedness, the work of being of one heart and one mind is the work of the moment. It's, really, it's going to be really easy to hide behind a phone or a computer screen or to stay at home or to go and do something else on a Sunday or whatever. It's going to be really hard to, in the old King James, forsake the assembling of the brethren. It's going to be really, it's never been easier not to do that. But the work at the moment, I think, is the work of relational alignment, being of one heart and one mind, working hard to be together, working hard to love one another well, working hard to understand what it is that the Lord is calling me. It's really important at the moment that the church is not outsmarted by the enemy. The political spirit is raging all over the place at the moment. The sectarian spirit is raging all over the place at the moment. And it's being exposed, which is good in some ways, but it's not nice. And unfortunately, it's seeped its way into the church. And as the people of God, we we need to be careful we're not pulled into it. We're not drawn into and seduced by it, but rather we are these people like Psalm 1 who are rooted in God, rooted in the ancient wisdom of his presence and in the scriptures and shaped by the way and the teachings of Jesus. And I really do believe, hopefully, that God, in a hope-filled way, that God is refining us in that way. Not everyone's going to get it necessarily, but God is refining and gathering a kind of remnant of people who, who really want to believe for that and who want to allow God to do what he wants to do in them. And what do those people look like? I think what I'm noticing, just offering this to you this morning, I'm noticing that these kind of people are hungry and they're humble and they are of the sweet spirit. They're not, they're not trying to prove they're right. They're just trying to posture their hearts to discern the moving of the spirit in the moments and the times that we live in, which are unique and unprecedented in many ways. And Paul talks in the scripture about the consolation of love and the fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship in a person. Fellowship in the person of the Holy Spirit. And God, I think, is gathering and knitting these people together. Why? Not just so we have a good time together, but to sharpen our intent, to sharpen our focus, to prepare our hearts for what I think is the greatest opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth in this nation and the nations than possibly any other time in our lifetime. And so I think this is the work of the hour, building our own ministries, creating our own platforms. The Spirit's just not there. I don't know if he ever was, but he's just definitely not there anymore. That kind of stuff has been deconstructed painfully for lots of people over this particular period, humble partnerships. In this next season, let me say this to you, and I think you can apply this really personally as well as corporately. Alignment, relationally, is going to be as important as assignment. It's a great question to ask yourself when you think about God's call in your life. Not just to ask, what are you going to do? But to ask, secondly, alongside that, who are you going to do it with? We, uh, we underestimate the power of friendship in the spirit, in, in, in the church these days. And, and God really wants to, I think, call us to a deep, deep relational line. We see it all through scripture, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, Peter, James and John, Paul and Barnabas. There was these moments, you know, Acts 13, separate Paul and 
Barnabas? Was that just like, you know, potluck or some kind of random kind of selection? No, there was something about the alignment of Paul and Barnabas going forth on mission together that the Holy Spirit knew was where the kind of magic was. Magic in a spiritual Holy Spirit kind of way. That's, that's where it was, you know. There's something about that. And so I, I think it's important for us to be thinking about that. People who leverage their greatness for the greatness of others. People who prioritize friendship over function. People who know that there's anointings on relationships and not just on individuals. People who count the cost of working hard to hear each other's hearts, to align their hearts in one-hearted, one-minded, one-spirited vision. You see, as we dig deeper into the passage that we read, we see this is why Paul felt this was so, so important. The end goal, if you, if you just flick back, and flick back to the scripture just when we sat on the, in Philippines, it says that the end goal at the end was one purpose, right? So Paul wanted them to be intent on one purpose, but it seems like the other three things were important. So being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, and united in spirit. <clears throat> and so in other words, what I'm trying to say is you can't really be onto one purpose if you're not of one heart if you're not of one mind, and if you're not of one spirit. It was interesting watching the, the oh, for those of you who like football, but it was interesting watching the Euros and all, wasn't it? Or any sport, you just like, it seemed to be that the teams, despite all the individual brilliance and lots of the others, that were the most one-hearted or the most one mind, it seemed to transmit, didn't it? It, it, it seemed to be, there was something about the, <clears throat> the chemistry that was on the relationships that actually was, effective for who and what they were trying to achieve. And you could apply that to any kind of team or sport or whatever it might be. But in the church, sometimes we kind of play this sort of game a little bit. Oh, we all kind of love each other. We're all kind of nice. But we're not necessarily of one heart and one mind and one spirit. And it's only when you're of one heart and one mind and one spirit can you actually be onto one purpose effectively. And so let me look at these quickly before we kind of finish today. Let me start with the last one. What does it mean to be intent on one purpose? What should our one purpose be? Well, quite simply, I think for the church, one purpose, the one purpose that we should all be towards and that we should be together corporately as a local church and the church generally is how we're fulfilling the Great Commission. So I think our primary metric to, of success in the church is that. It's not how big we are. It's not how cool our church is. It's not how great our coffee is, not how great our ministries are, da-da-da. It's how are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we creating disciples that are making disciples, that are planting churches, that are advancing the kingdom? That, that, that's the metric for success that we have to keep on asking ourselves. And that's the paradigm for what, from which we make all our decisions. So our decisions around how we spend our budgets, what kind of ministries we have, how we, how we, you know, how we rest and recuperate. Like, so, so for example, everybody, and I understand this because I need a wonder, everybody wants a holiday at the moment, which is really important because we all need rest and recuperation. But why do we need a holiday? It's not a holiday just for a holiday's sake. It's a holiday so that we can get recuperated and recovered and reset and ready because there's a pre-season ahead to get ready for a mission of God because people are dying in our communities. People are longing for hope. People are, you know, you don't need me to tell you, it's all over the news, mental health, suicide, all of that kind of stuff. We need to get ourselves ready because the metric for success, the thing that the one purpose that we are about 
is the fulfilling of the Great Commission and all our decision-making and all our thoughts and how we order and structure our lives has to come out of this. Look at this. Um, hopefully, it'll come up all right on the screen. A little thing. I think it was doing the rounds on Twitter or something. It's a little newspaper article. Let me read this to you. I have it on my phone here. A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's, whatever that place is, canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman who had changed clothes didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. But the search was called off about 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. So often, it's the church searching for itself. We're not intent on the real purpose to which we are called. And frankly, the churches that don't think this way, that don't think apostolically, that don't think about the Great Commission and the mission that's in front of us, I'm just, just not sure they're going to make it through this. And so people will disagree with this. People out there will disagree with it. And we, we, we're going to have to work out how to, how to do that. But we do have an opportunity. People will say there's other priorities at the moment. People will say there's other things that we should be kind of sorted, sorting out and focusing on. I, I really want to say it quite boldly today, but I offer to you humbly, don't do it. This is an opportunity. This is a time for us to be the people of God, to be confident in the church. Don't be intimidated by all the people that you know will say things but never really follow through. Don't be seduced by the spirit of the age. Let our decisions all be based around this one purpose. Stay on course, hold your nerve, be faithful and be full of faith. <clears throat> Parts of culture will want to drag us back to some kind of form of fundamentalism, stay clear of that, but parts of culture will want to drag you into some kind of secular humanism with a bit of Jesus on the top. Don't be distracted. Hold your nerve. Stay rooted. Be a people who are rooted like that tree beside rivers of living water. Because all that stuff that's blowing around at the moment, the Bible says someday it's just going to blow away. It's like chaff. Stay rooted. Hold on to Jesus. More Jesus. More Jesus. More Jesus is what we need. Love radically. Take the scriptures seriously. Pray your hearts out. Hold your nerve. Let's ask ourselves the right questions. Who's getting saved? Who's getting baptized? How, what homes are being opened up for people to come into that don't look like us? Where are we going to plant the next church? <laughs> those, those are the questions that we need to be asking. There's lots of other important conversations, but let's make sure we're having them inside the paradigm and inside the big picture, which is the fulfilling of the Great Commission. That's what I think we need to be about. In order to do that, we need to be, though, of one mind and one heart and one spirit. And so let me just say something about them all really briefly. First of all, united in spirit. What does united in spirit mean? What does harmony in the spirit mean? Well, as I said, Paul also uses this term in that scripture, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the spirit. And what, what I really want to say is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the identity marker for the church. If you want to be faithful to the New Testament, the main, the, the main 
uh, form of unity in the early church. The main identity marker of a Christian was a person in the Spirit. It wasn't whether you were circumcised or not. It wasn't whether you knew the law or how well you knew it or not. It wasn't whether you were a good kid. It was, are, are you in the Spirit? Is, is there a witness in your life to the witness of your brother and sister in, in Christ of the Spirit at work in your life? It's, um, it's there in the New Testament. That's the only way that we can actually achieve that koinonia. The earliest understandings of salvation and the nature of the church all grew out of their understanding of what God was now doing after Pentecost, post-Pentecost, where the Spirit of Jesus was poured out on the church. We always love to say, what could be better than Jesus in the flesh? If Jesus said it was better for him to go, how could that be? How could it be better for Jesus to go? What, what could possibly be better than, than, than uh, God in the flesh? The only thing that could be better than God in the flesh is God in all flesh. Is the Spirit in each and every one of us. And so there is nothing, I would argue, better that you could do with your time at the moment than this. Get together, whether it's in Sunday corporate worship or whether it's in smaller or whether it's a walk in the park. There's nothing better that you could do with your time at the moment than with those who are partnered with you in this one purpose to go, come Holy Spirit to submit your hearts to Jesus and to one another and just to invite the Spirit to come because that is how we are united. And we've never had an opportunity to be more dependent and more desperate for the Holy Spirit than right now. In these months that we've lived through where all our structures and our forms and all of that have been deconstructed and we haven't been able to rely on all the things that we can kind of hide behind, we've never had an opportunity like the other church who had no money, no resources, no buildings, no nothing. All they had was the Spirit of God and today we have an opportunity. That's why I think we could miss it. If we have an opportunity to be a people desperate and dependent on the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that he will come? How do we know that he has come when we pray that? Well, it will, both, it will, it will, <clears throat> it will have two things, two big words. It will have a centrifugal effect. In other words, it will send us out from the center. If the Holy Spirit comes, it will thrust us from the building into the streets, into the highways and byways, into all the places that the Holy Spirit wants us to go to meet Jesus amongst the poor and the broken and the lost. So we will do that. And it will also simultaneously at the same time, centripetally, it will bring us together in one. It will join us in the center. It will create within us one new humanity reflecting the multi-diverse family of God that Jesus died for, right? So when the Holy Spirit comes, those two things will happen if we want to be biblically faithful. And if they aren't happening, then we need to ask questions. But that's what we should expect if we're going to be united in the Spirit, if we're going to be of one. And so the way that we're united in the Spirit is creating times and moments and spaces where we can be together and kind of lay our agendas down a little bit and just be open to the moving and welcoming of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uniting us and our affections in Jesus. So don't be out of step. If you have a chip on your shoulder about the church, I can understand maybe where that comes from. But here's the thing, you just got to deal with it because you're going to be out of step. The way you get out of step is not being in step in your own personal devotions with the Spirit. But the way you also get out of step is being out of step with God's people. And you might have good reason for thinking that you could be, but you're still out of step 
And we all have to take responsibility. I say that sensitively without knowing situations and circumstances that people are going through. But we need to be together. Don't carry rebellion. Don't carry a lack of appreciation and honor for authority. Yeah, yeah, challenge things where they need to be, but do it in a spirit that ensures that you're staying in step. Be of one spirit. You can't be on to one purpose. We can't win the way that Jesus has designed us to win if we're not of one spirit. Be of one spirit. Be of one heart. Maintain the same love. What's that? That's that agape, sacrificial love where we lay our life down for one another. Where Jesus taught us, and as he taught the disciples, to be like, all men will know that you're my disciples if we love one another. We need to understand that the mission of God is one of extending spiritual family. Nothing less, right? Nothing less than a practical expression of the Trinity itself. We'll spend all our days trying to live up to that, won't we? by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're supposed to be as a church nothing less than a practical expression of the love of the Trinity on the earth. Self-giving love, preferring one another, honoring one another, laying our lives down for one another. That's what Jesus created amongst that band of 12 men. And it took him a bit of time to do it. And they were all like us, a work in progress. And if you read on the rest of the passage, I'm sure you're going to study it, you'll see that Jesus set the example, that self-emptying love, he who had been equal with God, coming as a servant even on to death and laying down, emptying himself out. It's that kind of love that Jesus is calling us to show to one another. There's a lot of tearing apart that's going on out there at the moment. There's a lot of, there's a lot of slander. <laughs> there's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of division. We need to model something different. We as a church need to be those people that are one heart, who genuinely love one another. And so, if you want to get really practical, you just need to get back to the Bible, really. If you've got a problem with somebody else here, you've got to sort it out. You've got to sort it out before the next time you come around the table, Matthew 18 tells us, there's a way to deal with these things. All this kind of stuff's in the Bible, in the Bible that people are writing lots of books about and all now, right? It's actually just there. Like, you know, if you've got a problem with somebody in your heart, like if you're secretly like trying to like murder somebody in your mind right now, you know, who just like cheesed you off last week for whatever reason, you, know, you need to do a piece of heart surgery there. And if that is something that has come between you, a wedge that... We, we deal with those things. We say, and we take responsibility and ownership and responsibility for them. And we say, listen, I'm really sorry if I have offended you in any way, but if there's something I want to make that. Those are the kind of things that we have to do in order to win, in order to be of one purpose, in order to be of one heart. And sharing life and unifying practices and worship will help deepen and develop that kind of love. As well as that, Dave talked about a picnic, hang out together, have fun. Like, just like, you know, do fire pits. You know, we, we, we sometimes talk with our friends about fire therapy. You know, there's just things that come out at, around a fire or things that come out when you, like, just have no, when you have those white spaces in your margins or you just get in a car and you drive somewhere together and you kind of, there's just stuff that happens in those moments that's deep and God forges something together that's really important for who we are becoming. And then finally, be of the same mind, one spirit, one heart, and one mind. I, I, I think this is where lots of churches actually fall down because we, 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 um, 
we, we, we might have one heart. We might have a, like a nice, loving kind of environment. Everybody feels really loved. And, you know, we might have a nice, um, you know, worshiping all might be good. But if you ask three people, you know, three different people, like, where are we going as a church? You, you know, sometimes you ask three elders that, right? You get like three different answers. Because haven't actually done the hard work of going, what is God calling us to be in our locality? in order to fulfill the Great Commission. So I think the best question that we can ask as churches is, how do we find our story in the big story of God? How do we locate our strategy within the big Great Commission to all nations? How does it start here in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaritan? How do, how do we start here and move from this place, building together a clear understanding of the direction that we're going to travel in together? And, you know, just to, like, make sure you don't have to have all that sorted, we're all trying to work that out at the moment because this is a unique cultural moment. But I guess that's what I wanted to encourage you with today because the Spirit of God, you know, the Bible tells us we have the mind of Christ, right? Uh, a friend says that the Holy Spirit has a few different ways to crack a nut, which, which is a kind of roundabout way of saying that he knows what he's doing. He knows how he's leading us. He knows where he wants to take us, even in the midst of all the stuff that's swirling around. But listen to me, the mind of Christ is in the body of Christ. It's not just in the leader. So each and every one of us have a part to play in listening to the Spirit and discerning the Spirit together in order for us as a one-hearted, one-minded, one-spirited community to be onto one purpose together for how God wants to lead us in this next season that we're entering into. We have to work hard to listen to the Spirit together and to be of one mind. And the way we do that is by building on the premise that the Bible gives us that immovable standard, that plumb line in which we align our lives this ensures that we aren't kind of going to be blown around by winds of doctrine, but we walk in line with grace and truth and humility in order to reflect the goodness of Jesus. Some people won't be of one mind with us. And that's okay at times. You can bless them and champion them. And, you know, it kind of happened in the New Testament as well, but there's a way to do that. There's a way to posture that. But you and me and all of us together, but here in Central, I just really feel like you guys have a, have a great opportunity as you go through this series and you go into the autumn to really do this work together. And when I say that, it's, it's intentional, but it doesn't necessarily need to be intense in some kind of weird, intense, like over-spiritualized way that we're all just trying to like impress one another and God and like just, you know clenching our bum cheeks too hard because we think that if we just can hear God, you know, it's not that kind of intensity, right? Like, just like, don't take yourself too serious at all. But at the same time, take Jesus really serious and take, like, take what he wants us to do and what he's calling us to do really serious and take one another really serious and take one another's hearts really serious and know that God gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He didn't give programs as, as great as they are. He, he, he didn't give models and structures as great as they are. He gave living stones, people, you and me, who carry the living God in our own beings. In him we live and move and have our being. And he gave his own spirit into you to live in you, to dwell in you, 
to reveal more of who he is to you. And so in this moment that we're living through, for nothing else than the advancement of God's kingdom, for the pushing back of darkness, for the shattering of the dreams and the schemes of the enemy, for nothing less than the advancement of the kingdom of God, be of one purpose, by being of one heart and being of one mind and being of one spirit. Do the work of alignment so that you can be ready for the new assignments that he wants to leave with you and to stir you with as you go forward. Last scripture on the screen, just to sum up everything I've said. The writer of the Hebrews, I love this scripture. I think it's going to be our theme in our church going forward in the autumn because this just, this just, gets to where I think the Lord wants us to be. We are not, or we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We do not belong. We, we're, the church is not a backfoot people. Did you ever hear that verse growing up? You know, when, you know, God's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We get the sense that the gates are moving towards us or something. It's like, but I don't know about you, but I've never seen gates, gates move. It's like we are plundering enemies' camp. It's like those gates are not going to hold back the force of the Spirit in the people of God as they move forward. We do not belong. We do not belong to those who shrink back. When I played football, like the, the biggest thing you got a rollicking for on a Saturday was if, you, if you're on the back foot, just like, you know, that was, we're, we're on the back foot. We've been on the back foot from the start. We never started on the front foot. And when you start in the back foot, it's hard to shift it. It's hard to change it. And it's felt like a time when we've had to live in the back foot. And I understand that. It feels like a time when we've had to like just be faithful. But, you know, there is a danger that we can retreat into that place. And by all means, let's use the summer to take rests and to recover and to restore and to get precious time with our family. By all means, that's important. That's a discipline. That's a spiritual discipline. But it's so we will not be like those who shrink back, but those who are full of faith. And I want to pray that your hearts will be stirred as you go in to the months ahead and the season ahead because God, I believe, has wonderful things for you and wonderful things to do through you as his people here.